Hi, I'm Deirdre Veldon and this is Confronting Coronavirus, a daily podcast on the COVID-19 outbreak. Yesterday, we took a look at how restrictions here might ease from May 5th. Also yesterday, France unveiled its plans to take advantage of falling infection rates to reduce the severity of lockdown and begin the process of rescuing its economy. Lara Marlowe is Irish Times Paris correspondent. Lara, France has announced a detailed plan for a progressive and controlled exit from a strict lockdown from the 11th of May. What will this mean? Well, it means, first of all, that we have two more weeks of lockdown, of, of strict lockdown, um, in, during which we have to carry a paper with us uh, noting the time we go out. We're not allowed out for more than one hour. We're not allowed more than a kilometre from home. Uh, and you're only, you have to have a good reason to go out. It has to be for urgent professional business. Um, for example, I can justify as a journalist that I have to buy a newspaper uh, or it can be actually for up to one hour of exercise. So that whole rigmarole will continue for two more weeks. There are actually three important dates uh, in the, the schedule rolled out by the Prime Minister today. Uh, the first upcoming important date is the 11th of May. On the 11th of May, um, all shops except for um, cafes, restaurants, uh, that sort of thing, but, but normal shops can open. Um, although the, the prefects can forbid sh- big shopping centers from opening if they want to. But otherwise, all, business, all other businesses are allowed to reopen on the 11th of May. Uh, kindergartens and uh, primary schools will also reopen, but uh, it's t- entirely on a volunteer basis. So if parents don't want to send their children back to school, they don't have to. And in fact, polls show that about two-thirds of French parents will not send their children back to school. Um, then on the 18th of May, they're going to open the middle schools, um, but only in the areas where there is not a lot of uh, contamination, where there's not a lot of the virus. They're, they're going to divide all of the departments of France into red, red zones and green zones. So I'm, I'm sure Paris will be a red one because it's, it's, they've got a very high rate of contagion in Paris. Uh, but if you live out in, I don't know, the Ardèche or someplace that's fairly sparsely populated and there's not a big coronavirus problem, uh, you're likely to be a green zone and then your middle school would be reopening on the 18th of May. The third important date is the 2nd of June. So we're talking about there's a three-week transition period between... The French always do everything in the most complicated possible way, I'm afraid. Okay, the the three-week transition uh, will allow the authorities to decide whether they will um, reopen the lycées after the 1st of June, they're going to think about the bars and cafes and restaurants then, from then on. Uh, they're also keeping the uh, beaches closed. You're not allowed to go to the beach. Some of the big public parks um, are going to allow it to be reopened again. I think it's a, it's a red and green zone thing. If you're in a green zone, the public parks are open. If you're in a red zone, they're not. Uh, they're allowing open-air markets to reopen from the 11th of May. Um, it was it was very detailed, uh, you know, down in the, the weeds kind of uh, schedule of what can reopen, what cannot. Uh, sadly, for anyone who's really interested in football, the prime minister said there will be no 
2019-2020 season. Um, I don't know much about football, but I, th- I think that all the matches were supposed to have been in the summer. And uh, big, any kind of big gathering, they said 5,000 or more people. There's no question of that before September. Uh, in the next period, from the 11th of May to the 2nd of June, you can only have a gathering of 10 people maximum. Uh, funerals are allowed if you, if you keep it to under 20 people. Uh, weddings are discu- very strongly discouraged. <laughs> they said, he said, except in the event of emergencies. And I, I must say, I smiled when I heard that. I thought, what, what's an emergency <laughs> wedding? It must be, you know, a pregnant bride or something. But anyway, um, they are still, they're also asking everyone to keep uh, teleworking from home for as long as possible. They said, if you must go to work, the employers have to su- supply um, face masks for their employees. And they also want to stagger the hours, uh, working hours, so that there are not too many people in one place at a, at the same time. So the strategy will in- include measures uh, like face masks, uh, testing and the use of isolation. Do you think that there is good public confidence the virus can be controlled? Uh, no, there's not good public con- uh, confidence. I mean, the, the French are very sceptical by, by nature. And the opinion polls are showing that about 60% of them basically say they have no confidence in the government's ability to manage this crisis. I mean, the face masks are a good example. Um, at the beginning of the epidemic, the government said um, you, the only people who should wear masks are medical personnel. And they said it's actually dangerous or harmful for other people to wear them. And now, under the measures announced today, they have said that face masks will be obligatory in all public transport. Um, It's worth noting the Paris Metro, they're reducing the number of trains to 70% of pre-epidemic levels. And they're saying that you have to keep the social distancing that I think they're going to put they're going to put lines on the on the K's of the metro so that people don't stand too close together and you're you're supposed to sit every other seat you're not supposed to sit next to anyone um I have my doubts about how how well this will work but um anyway that's that's the plan uh, so face masks for everybody in public transport um you're not allowed to take trains Unless uh, you have a reservation, you are not allowed to travel more than 100 kilometers from your home. So the one kilometer is gone, uh, but it's now 100 kilometers. And even then, if, if you're going more than 100 kilometers, you must have uh, what they're saying, an unavoidable, absolutely, absolute necessity of traveling for family or professional reasons. And you have to have a paper that shows that proves that. Otherwise, you can be um, fined, arrested, whatever. In, in Ireland, there's a, a lot of debate around, uh, you know, whether we can reach this kind of magic number of 100,000 uh, tests a week and and there is a gap between, uh, you know, when we expect to have some easing of, of restrictions from the 5th of May, um, although it, it will be relatively minor now, it seems. Um, uh, and and the end of the month, which is uh, when we reach that 100,000 uh, tests a week figure. And I, I gather that the, the similar equivalent in France is 700,000. Um, are they they close to to reaching that figure? Are they very confident about it? 
No, I think I think the the last figure I heard was that they were doing two hundred thousand a week. It's it's in the low hundreds of thousands a week they're doing at the moment. There's been a very serious shortage of tests in the same way there's been a very short serious shortage of face masks. Um, they said they also have two kinds of test. There's a virological test, which is the the swab stuck up your nose, uh, which apparently is very uncomfortable. And the the seven hundred thousand will be that type of test. I I've heard doctors say that it's not really reliable. All it shows is whether you have the virus in the back of your in the top of your nasal your your, your nose. Uh, it doesn't tell you <clears throat> whether you have the virus in your lungs, and um, so apparently it, it gives a fairly high percentage of what they're calling false negatives. Um, the other test, which they I know the Institut Pasteur is developing, is called a vir, um, not virological, sorry, a serological test, and it's a blood test. And there was a lot of talk about how much better, how superior this test would be, because you can just prick the person's finger, and it will tell you quite quickly whether they have the virus in in their bloodstream. But I don't know what those apparently are not ready. I think they haven't been perfected by the Pasteur Institute yet, so those will not be used. Now, if you test positive, they will have what they they call brigades. I'm not sure what the testing brigades are, or who exactly they will be, but they will trace all of your try to trace your contacts. Uh, for example, anyone you're in your immediate family, anyone you're actually living with, um, they will be asked to self-isolate. And if they can isolate at home, that's fine. Uh, but if they cannot, for example, I don't know, for whatever reason, overcrowding in poor neighborhoods, that sort of thing, they will be, they have uh, set up hotels for them and they will be asked to stay in, in one of these hotels. The French Prime Minister, Edouard Philippe, said... French people were going to have to learn to live with the virus and at the same time uh, take their country back from the brink of economic collapse. Um, that's a, a very difficult combination. Yes. And as from the very beginning, they have been juggling, they've been weighing um, economic collapse versus um, death death rate, basically. And, and that was very clear in the speech today. He said, you know, we can't, we, this is the most serious economic crisis since uh, the biggest, worst recession since 1945. And uh, we are facing, you know, economic collapse. They had 250,000 more people go on the dole in one month, which is which is another record. So the, the economy is, is being destroyed by this. And Obviously, the, the, they f- the big fear is a second wave of contamination uh, if they open up too quickly. In fact, one important thing the prime minister did say was that if the medics say um, that the, the statistics are not good, if, if, they're, if the, the level re- remains exactly what it is now, for example, he didn't, he didn't say this specifically, but they've taken heart from the fact that hospital admissions and patients in intensive care units have been decreasing over the last uh, 10 days or so. If that trend continues, then this mostly lifting of the lockdown or partial lifting of the lockdown will go ahead on the 11th of May. But Edouard Philippe said, um, if the figures aren't good, we're not going to do it. We're not going to lift the lockdown. So it is a conditional measure. 
And this week we are seeing uh, German infection rates rising again after they lifted their uh, restrictions. Uh, will will that have influenced the thinking in France? Uh, I'm sure they're aware of it. Um, you know, every the French tend to always sort of do their own thing. They're not they're not doing. They they've been very critical of the Swedes uh, in particular because the Swedes have not done a real lockdown. Their schools have been open. They haven't even closed restaurants. And I, I think there's sort of a feeling in France that that's irresponsible. But they've been compared a lot to the Germans. And the comparison has not been favorable to France. Um, Germany, for a bigger population, has a much, much lower infection rate than France. And there's been a lot of commentary in all the French media about how Angela Merkel has, has managed the crisis much better. They're asking if it's a difference in system of government. For example, you know, the Germans have the, the lender, the, the regional governments are very, very strong, and they all have the equivalent of a health minister. And, you know, people are asking, is this just a national character trait that the Germans are just more efficient and more organized than we are? And in France, what, what has happened is that the central government is so powerful and so overwhelming and everything has to go through the central bureaucracy and it has really uh, sort of jammed things up and, and that's why it's taken so long to get masks and tests and, and so on and so forth. And this, So there's a lot of soul-searching about the form of government and what, why is it not working that well in France. Another theme I hear over and over is... Uh, it's again, it's the central government theme, but but people are saying, why does you know the the, the Elysee and the the ministry in Paris have to decide everything, and the the provinces, as they used to be called, now we call them departments and regions, um, they want to decide things their own on their own. And I noticed in Edouard Philippe's speech today, he repeatedly said, we will let the regions decide this themselves. So there is a feeling that the, the, the regions are demanding a little bit more autonomy because they feel that the central government has, has messed it up. Lara, the immigrant banlieue on the outskirts of major French cities have been badly hit by the virus. But people there seem to be pulling together to a degree not seen in richer areas, haven't they? Well, I'll have a piece in Wednesday's Irish Times about the banlieue. And I interviewed two people at Médecins Sans Frontières who are working in the banlieue. They have um, uh, sort of mobile testing units in Marseille. Uh, and they're trying to help, especially the migrants who, because those are poor areas, are, are staying in the, the banlieue around Paris. Um, and I also interviewed several, three inhabitants of, of the banlieue in Paris and Marseille. Um, the, all the well, there, there aren't a lot of reliable statistics out yet, but it is ob, it is clear that they have been much harder hit, and which is normal because they're living five or six people in in two room apartments, uh, whereas in in central Paris where I live, you've got usually one or two people living in in, in apartments, and so that population density has has mean they've been hit a lot harder. There was also a phenomenon at the beginning, especially. Um, and they also a very young population, 
and uh, the youths, mostly were talking about Arabs and Africans, they didn't really believe it. They thought, well, this, you know, nobody believes the, the government anymore, especially not these kind of rebellious young people who are prone to vandalism and rioting, when, especially when there are uh, police errors and police brutality and so on. So in the very beginning, they had a very hard time um, getting them to obey the conditions of the lockdown. Now, one of the people I talked to in the, in the Seine-Saint-Denis, north of Paris yesterday, said, well, there was a 65-year-old doctor, local doctor died on Friday. There are several officials around who have died. She said she called it a massacre. Uh, in Sevran, this town in Saint-Saint-Denis. And the other the fellow I interviewed in Saint-Saint-Denis, uh, who's of Algerian origin, told me that his first cousin died and his his best friend's father died. And he, he knew of a lot of people who were infected. And I know I've read reports from some of the hospitals in the banlieue, and they're, they are really overstretched. Uh, so I, I think it, it has happened. I think that we won't know the full extent of of all of this and until the epidemic is over. But um, there's definitely a problem. And the fear has been throughout that the banlieue would explode. Um, it's Ramadan right now, the holy month of, uh, in Islam. And you know, as you know, people fast during the day and they have a, a meal where they break the fast in the evening. And there was a bit of a scandal in, in northern France because um, the prefect sent out orders to the police saying, whatever you do, don't interfere in the iftar, in the evening feast, uh, because they're so afraid of antagonizing uh, the, the Muslim minority. They're so afraid of having riots or something, because you, you can imagine with this epidemic crisis, if suddenly you have rioting in the banlieue as well, it would, it would be pretty unmanageable. So they're, they're really trying. Actually, there was a, a story um, It happened on the weekend, early Sunday morning, there was an Egyptian guy who dived in, was being pursued by police. Uh, he dived into the Seine. The police um, fetch, you know, got him out of the water. And then as they were walking, they, they put him in the back of the, of the paddy wagon or whatever you call it, of the, the van, and uh, slammed the door shut. And then there was a, a guy recording, I guess with an iPhone, uh, one cop could be heard saying to the other, ah, these Arabs can't swim. You should have put a, put a weight on his foot and let him drown. And this went, forgive the word, viral um, almost immediately on social media. And there was a big, uh, the, the two um, fellows I interviewed in Marseille and Saint-Saint-Denis told me about it first. They told me about it before it was in sort of standard um, establishment media. Uh, but they all knew all about it. And the, the interior minister came out the same day and said, we will not allow racism in the French police. And those two cops are being suspended. So this is how sensitive and touchy and delicate the situation is in the banlieue right now. Lara, separately, you found a great deal uh, to... Uh, amuse and uh, entertain and and uh, intellectually stimulate you uh, online um, during this period of of lockdown. Uh, tell us a little bit about your 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 cultural recommendations. <laughs> well, actually, unfortunately, I don't really have time to pursue my own advice. Um, there were first of all, the, I, I mean, like everyone else, I'm getting 
dozens of memes and videos, and I, I find the quality has gone down a bit. In the beginning, when all of the orchestras were doing um, these, uh, sort of, they were calling them virtual concerts, you know, where they would get all the musicians in a symphony orchestra to record from their own home. And there were some really beautiful ones. Uh, the, the Rotterdam Symphony Orchestra uh, did, a, did a lovely one. The, the Paris Orchestra did one. Um, on Saturday evening, actually, that was a good evening. I, I um, watched the Metropolitan Opera in New York had um, famous opera singers from all over the world uh, at their, in their own homes. And it's kind of fun to see their homes singing just the most famous arias of operas. And uh, also on the same night, um, the two surviving Beatles, Paul McCartney and uh, is it Ringo Starr? I think so. Um, they did a, a Yellow Submarine sing-along concert. So there, there's an incredible wealth of stuff on the internet. And virtually all the museums that I um, inquired about have uh, online exhibitions or lectures. Or um, I know the Petit Palais in Paris has its entire collection of paintings online. You can look at all of them. And then opera, I mean, the Paris Opera is showing free of charge this week um, their 2017 production of Carmen, of Bizet's Carmen, with Roberto Alagna. I actually took a close friend to see it in 2017 when it was produced, and, and it cost me a horrific amount of money. And now I hope I have time this week to, to watch it online, the same concert that I went to see at the Opéra Bastille. So there's an incredible wealth of, of culture there. Um, if you're like me, you probably have hundreds of books at home that you always wished you had time to read and have never got around to reading. Um, I think people are reading a lot more than they used to, which is, which is also a good thing. Lara, thank you. My thanks to Declan Conlon, who produced today's podcast. And thanks for listening. Stay up to date with the latest developments at irishtimes.com. We'll be back tomorrow.